Hey guys, Dr. Childs here. Today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, what I'm going to be doing uh, is answering questions that you guys have left for me. So these are questions that I specifically asked for you guys to ask, basically, um, on a post on YouTube. So I'm going through all of these questions. Well, probably not all of them, but as many as I can. And Regardless of where you're listening to this, I want you, if you have questions for me, leave them in the comments below of whatever device or wherever, whatever platform you're using to listen to this now so that I can get your questions. Uh, it's really helpful for me to see what kind of questions you guys have, and hopefully it's helpful for you to get my answer to those questions. And so we'll be doing this uh, Q&A type thing uh, more frequently going forward. So, uh, by the way, when you do leave questions, make sure that you try and... Um, make them as vague as possible. They can't be specific medical questions to you. I can't answer those type of questions. But if they're more broad and more general, I definitely can. So let's get to these. Let me pull this up. So I'm going to show you some of these questions and we're going to go through uh, as many as we can, um, probably in about 10 minutes or so. So um, Amy has the first question. She says, I have low adrenal function and Hashimoto's. Do you have advice for nighttime hypoglycemia? Also, does hypothyroidism cause sodium retention? And if so, how do you fix it? So this is a question that we're on right now. Um, advice for a nighttime hypoglycemia, which is just low blood sugar for, for those um, who are curious. Uh, it depends on the cause of it. You can have reactive hypoglycemia, um, in which case some people are just really sensitive uh, to certain types of carbs and, and the insulin response that they are associated with. Uh, certain supplements as well, if you're really sensitive, can cause this sort of thing. That's a more general, broad question, so it's hard to say for sure. I'd have to know why you have it. We'd have to ask some questions about what triggers it and things like that. So I can't really comment on that because it's too broad. Um, and then your second question is more about sodium retention. So I think what you're really asking um, is whether or not you... Um, low thyroid function can lead to swelling and edema. And so that's sort of the medical term that we call uh, or that we just how we describe things that are uh, in excess of water in certain areas of the body, um, edema or swelling. And the answer to that is absolutely. In fact, uh, low thyroid function in general does cause uh, sodium, well, we wouldn't call it sodium retention, but we call it swelling or edema in certain parts of the body, especially in the face, around the eyes, um, not so much in the extremities, but it just sort of makes you look uh, how I've heard most people describe as puffy. Um, you just sort of look, uh, you don't look like yourself. You just look like you're a little bit swollen, especially in the face. So that sort of edema is more, or let's call it swelling because it's a low grade edema. Let's, that's more common and commonly related to low thyroid function. Now the answer is how do you fix it? The answer is easy. You just fix your thyroid. So you should not have swelling pretty much under any reason, at least normal uh, physiologic reason. So if you have swelling, that, that indicates an issue. And in most cases, if it's this sort of, um, if it's this sort of swelling that I'm describing is related to your, your thyroid, then the fix would be take more thyroid hormone, improve your thyroid naturally, do, do whatever you can to fix your thyroid, to balance it, to improve it, and the swelling should go away completely. Uh, if it's related to something else, which could be your heart, um, that would be probably most common, uh, blood pressure, things like that, then fixing your thyroid won't necessarily fix the problem, but it may actually improve it a little bit um, because the thyroid can impact uh, cardiothoracic function or um, cardiovascular function as well. So. I think that's what you're asking there. And so basically the advice is you need to improve your thyroid. In fact, that might also improve your nighttime hypoglycemia um, as a matter of fact as well. So then we have somebody named L. She says, I, or he, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and took medication. Then I went hyperthyroid, took meds for that short term because my levels leveled off. What is happening to my body? I just noted this, noticed the comments about fluctuating between hyper, hypo. Yeah, so this um, requires a little bit, again, it's, it's kind of hard to answer this question uh, broadly, but let me say this. Most people who think that they're hyperthyroid are not actually hyperthyroid. So 
Um, a lot of the times what will happen is patients will be diagnosed with low thyroid. They're put on a thyroid medication like levothyroxine, and that causes the TSH to drop. So you have this drop in TSH. And if your doctor is not really in the know, they'll and, and the drop in the TSH is robust, meaning it's lower than, or it's a, it drops lower than what they would expect. They might say that you're hyperthyroid and they might convince you that you're hyperthyroid, but you're not at all. In fact, you could be totally hypothyroid even with a low or suppressed TSH. So that happens quite often, especially if you're taking medications like levothyroxine or Synthroid or even Tyrosint, anything with only a T4 medication. So it's hard to say here whether you actually are hyperthyroid or not. And it depends on, did you experience true hyperthyroid symptoms? in the presence of a low TSH and let's say high free T3 or high free T4? Or were you just told that you were hyperthyroid when you weren't actually hyperthyroid? So that's where things can get a little bit confusing and you need to be able to distinguish between those things. So I can't really say what's happening to your body because I don't have a lot of information based off that, but I can say because you have mentioned here that you have Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's can also naturally cause fluctuating thyroid function. So it can cause um, hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism, and you could go back and forth between the two. Now, ultimately, you will probably end up hypothyroid unless you can treat it and reverse it, which is definitely possible. Um, so it's hard to say what is happening. Is it related to the medication? Is it related to just the course of your disease? Or is it something else, right? So some of these things require more information, which is why I try to hopefully provide those in my videos. But um, this is probably a little more complex. We need more information in order to solve that problem. Let's see, D. Bart says, how do I know if I have Hashimoto's or just an underactive thyroid? It's actually pretty easy to diagnose Hashimoto's, I would say. Uh, it can be difficult, uh, but the majority of cases are really, really easy. In fact, I have videos on that, uh, but I'll go through it briefly here. The easiest and fastest way to diagnose Hashimoto's, um, you really only need two things. You need to know two things. Number one, do you have low thyroid symptoms? And number two, do you have elevated thyroid antibodies, either thyroglobulin antibodies or thyroid peroxidase antibodies. And you can check for these. Just have your doctor order them and check for them. Now, if you have those elevated uh, thyroid antibodies, one or both, doesn't matter which one, um, or if you have both, and you have low thyroid, the chances of you having Hashimoto's is very, very, very high, okay? But that doesn't cover everyone. There's a small group of people who have what's called seronegative Hashimoto's. And these are people, it's only about five to 10%, uh, depending on which study you look at. But uh, there are some people who have true Hashimoto's. They have infiltration of the immune system inside their thyroid gland, but they have negative thyroid antibodies. Okay, so it can be confusing in some cases, but most of the time, very straightforward, very easy to diagnose. Now, one other thing we're saying here is that the majority of low underactive, th low thyroid or underactive thyroid or hypothyroidism, doesn't matter. They're all basically uh, different words to describe the same thing the majority of those cases are caused by Hashimoto's, whether you realize it or not, okay? So there's a, even if you were like, what should I do? What kind of therapy should I do? Err on the side of doing the therapies that I talk about for patients with Hashimoto's because it's just safer that way, right? You're not gonna get, you're not gonna hurt yourself trying to reduce your stress, sleep more, um, detox your body a little bit, uh, that kind of stuff, right? That's, that's not gonna really gonna hurt you. Um, even if it's not as beneficial as it would be for somebody who just has underactive thyroid, it's still gonna be really helpful for you to do those things. So just err on the side of using the Hashimoto's treatments. Um, I'm talking natural treatments, supplements, and things like that, um, because the, the thyroid medication treatment is the same whether it's underactive or Hashimoto's, provided both are in the underactive state. Okay, so let's see here. Uh, Alicia says, can you still have symptoms even when your thyroid levels are in normal range with replacement medicine? My doc says no. Your doc is 100% wrong. Sorry about that. Uh, no, I'm not trying to be rude to your doctor, but that's absolutely incorrect. You can definitely have low thyroid symptoms with all sorts of thyroid lab tests. Okay, so now this is something I don't talk about a lot. Um, 
probably it's just a complicated thing, but a lot of patients, a lot of doctors, they tend to focus solely on thyroid lab tests. They want to look at the lab tests and say, these lab tests are going to guide me to get on the right medication, to change the medication, whatever it is. You simply cannot focus 100% of your effort in any one area when it comes to the thyroid. And that includes thyroid lab tests. I have patients like, let me give you an example with my wife. So this this just to put this into context. So her free T3 is like 10 or 12, like it's super high, okay? The, I think the range is normally, at least the one that we use is like 3.6 or something like that. Hers is 10, okay? So by everyone, any other doctor who looked at her would say she's clearly hyperthyroid, but she's not. In fact, she's, she's doing great with that free T3 level. And then there's other people that I've treated who have, you know, let's say low to moderate free T3 levels, but feel 100% fine as well. It's not just about your thyroid lab test. You have to put it into context with the symptoms, heart rate, basal body temperature, and things like that. So if you're focusing just on one area and excluding the others, it, that's just a recipe for not getting your treatment and your therapy therapies correct, okay? So you have to look at all these things together. And I try to try to put all this together, at least in videos, but it's kind of hard, you know, when you're, when I'm talking specifically about one thing and then you're only looking at that and maybe you've missed three or four videos in the meantime, right? So hopefully this sort of stuff puts it all together. Let's see, I think we can do um, one more here. Let's see, this one is from Anjali, I believe, if I'm saying that correctly. Firstly, thank you for all this information. You're welcome. Can you please provide, please post more videos on causes of testosterone being high related to high thyroid peroxidase? So, okay, so she is basically asking um, to produce more content related to high testosterone in the as it relates to um, high thyroid peroxidase, which is basically Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So actually, um, in most cases, I'll just comment on this. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that, I'll add that to the list of content. I have a huge list of things, but I, I can add that to it. Now, most of the time, let me just say this. Most of the time, women who have Hashimoto's tend to have low testosterone levels. In fact, I just, um, I think I did a video or a blog post recently on this, but most of the time it's the opposite. It's actually uncommon for women to have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease, and actually have high testosterone. But you do see it. You will see women with Hashimoto's and PCOS, which are um, doesn't always go together, but you can see those. It's usually one or the other. You have PCOS and high testosterone, and that kind of protects you from developing autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's, or you have Hashimoto's, which tends to be associated with low testosterone, and then you have all the symptoms of low testosterone. But every now and then, you do get a woman who has the combination of both. Uh, in fact, the I think, I can't remember where I put it or where I talked about it, but uh, something important related to this is that the use of testosterone can be a treatment for Hashimoto's. In fact, it can actually improve and boost immune function in those people who have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So that's why I said it's actually the opposite. So most of the time you have Hashimoto's, you have low testosterone, you use testosterone uh, to level that back up and that treats Hashimoto's at the same time. So in that way, testosterone is actually a therapy for Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And a really good one too, by the way, one that people don't aren't often aware of and and don't often use. So I would put that in the back of your head. Now, this isn't relevant to you because you're saying you have high testosterone, um, but I would look at that. Is it, is it high free testosterone? Is it high total testosterone? Do you also have an elevated DHEA? Do you also have PCOS? Um, this kind of stuff all goes together, right? Um, in fact, a lot of the times low thyroid can, can cause problems with testosterone. So if you treat your thyroid, that might normalize the testosterone. So it's a little more, a little more complicated. Um, then, then maybe uh, I'm making it out to be right now, but that's sort of I, that's sort of the information I'd give you related to this. Um, let's see, let's do one more. Let's do one more. So this is Kendra. She says, "How do you know the right dose of Nature Thyroid beyond lab tests?" I was at 65 milligrams, then felt hot and sp spacey. Went down to 48.5, and it seemed like within a week my hair started falling out and I gained weight. Okay, yeah, this is a really good question. So basically, now most people are not like Kendra. Okay, so really, what's happening here is Kendra is somebody who is 
fairly sensitive to her dose of thyroid medication. And this does happen, by the way. I mean, I've had people where I have to tune it to basically a single milligram or one or two milligrams of thyroid medication dosing. So if you look here, the way that, the way that nature, nature thyroid, I think is what she's talking about here. Um, a lot of people call it nature thyroid, but it, it's a nature thyroid. So you can really only go in these, in, I think it's 16.25 is the, the minimum dose that you can apply. Um, so she's basically going from 48.5 to 65 milligrams and saying 65 is too much, but 48.5 is not enough because when she drops down to the 48.5, she starts experiencing hair loss and weight gain, which are symptoms of hypothyroidism, right? And when she gets up to the 65, she feels hot and spacey, which are symptoms of hyperthyroidism. So really what she needs is somewhere between the dose of 65 and 48.5. Now this is where, and the reason I, this is good that we talked about this, this is where you really have to be a little bit um, in tune with the various types of thyroid medications available to you. So something like a compounded T4, T3 thyroid medication could be used in Kendra's case, right? So you, we, could, we could actually get the dose right in between the, that and then titrate it up by a single milligram for T4 or T3 and get exactly what she needs. Now, alternatively, another way to do this is, uh, let's, let's say it's a, a poor man's version, is you can just take 48.5 one day and 65 another, and then you're really sort of averaging out the difference between the two. I don't love to do that, um, but it is a possibility, and I do do it occasionally. In fact, I've gone as much as, let's take one, you know, let's say 48.5, 48.565, 48.5, 48.565, 5, so you can do one every third day, you can one every, do one every second day, one every fourth day, and so on. Um, it just requires you to play with the dose and play with what's available to the patient. Because um, a lot of times, you know, it may not be possible to get a compounded thyroid medication in this case, but you can do what I mentioned previously. Now, that, I'm not recommending you necessarily do this, Kendra. I'm just saying this is how I would think about these things. So don't take any of this information as medical advice. Um, I'm just talking about my opinion here uh, based on my experience. So we'll leave it there. I think we've done uh, enough for today. I'll answer and go through more of these. Like I said, if you like this sort of stuff, if you want to get your questions answered, um, it would be really good for me to hear from you in terms of what questions you have. The reason is some of these things I, they're, you know, I can't make an entire uh, video based off of these, these questions, but if I get them all together, I think it's really helpful for people who are still struggling and trying to figure out. And if you just want to get in my head and see how I think about these things, I think it's helpful too. So, um, yeah, if you have any questions, leave them below and I'll get to this information and, and I'll do another Q and a, um, hopefully do these more frequently, maybe once or twice a month, depending on how many questions there are, uh, maybe more frequently. We'll see. Um, so leave those questions below and otherwise I'll see you guys in the next one.